Travolting presents The Fraser's Edge. Hosted by Jeff Sweeney and Stuart Elmore. Covering Crash. Enjoy the episode. Crash into me, babe. Oh, babe, crash into me. I can't believe that fucking song is not in this movie. <laughs> uh, it isn't in this movie. It is not. You know what is in this movie? Uh, a a lot, lot of troubling <laughs> dynamics and ideas. Yeah. What are you oh, doing, God. bro? I'm, I'm fucking up the, the cable. Yeah. What the hell is... Oh, okay. okay, it's the plug. Yeah. Fuck I'm not used to this being on my side. These, this is the content that the, the listeners crave. Yeah. Uh, yeah, That, folks, w- this week we are here to talk about 2005's uh, Paul Haggis Best Picture winner, Crash. Oh, my God. A movie with absolutely no uh, controversy uh, to its win or to its existence. Um, no one who has any opinions on this movie whatsoever. Uh, I... I have never it, seen this movie. It's, it's the most milk toast, like, you know, baseline movie um, to ever come out. No one's ever said anything bad about it. Yes. It's perfect. Yes. It's a totally fine movie. Uh, no, in all actuality, this is maybe one of the great travesties of Os- in Oscars history. <laughs> this winning Best Picture in 2005. Y- yeah. Yes. Um I don't. I don't have a lot to say context-wise, Jeff, because here's here's where my context stems from. Like everyone's heard of Crash. Yeah. If you're like into movies of any kind, you've heard of this because this is the movie that beat Munich and Brokeback Mountain for Best Picture. Yes. I know there were other two nominees, and I yes. didn't watch any of those movies, but I, I mean, you might have. I, no, I looked. Oh, up, you just. You I looked, looked up the best picture nominees. The other two movies I had not seen. But was, I had seen. It was Capote and Good Night and Good Luck. Yeah, it's I, like an all-star lineup, and then Crash wins. It's very funny. Yeah, I had seen Brokeback Mountain. I had seen Munich, uh, and then this movie wins, and it, it was a big, big, big hailstorm of like controversy that this movie won best picture. The fact that it even got nominated was weird. Mm-hmm. I mean. Do I think it deserves to get nominated? Absolutely not. It makes sense it, in context of the time. It's the Hollywood pat itself on the back. Yeah, nomination. no, it makes a lot of sense it winning for 2006 when it won. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that is a good thing, but when you consider like the context of the time. We'll get into this later in the episode. I want to mm-hmm. kind of delay the Oscar talk until we've talked about the movie. Oh, okay. Um, Because that is like the post-context stuff, and I think... You know, if the listener had not seen the movie, we should uh, tell them what this movie's about before we get into the Chichino one. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm just saying, like, in my context, I had never seen this movie. I had yeah. only heard about it, know what it's it, infamous for. Yeah. Knew about its context, about why it was controversial, like, about its themes. Yeah. But I'd never seen it. And somebody told me it's like, this is the greatest Oscar upset since... Uh, how fair is my Green Valley beating Citizen Kane? Mm-hmm. It's like that, and then Crash winning. It's that Crash winning. People will some people will usually throw Forrest Gump beating Pulp Fiction 
Yeah. And um, Shakespeare in Love beating Saving Private Ryan yeah. into the kind of the same camp. Yeah. But this is an especially egregious this is, example. Yeah, this is... Oh, you know what the the great you know comparison to this is? The, the two green, great comparisons The Green Book. Green Book, and then also Driving Miss Daisy beating Do the Right Thing. Yeah. It's the great example of the Academy, like, foregoing the actually progressive, transgressive films. Yeah. And going with, like, kind of the safe, like, Hollywood liberal movie. It's it's a it's a white savior. Yeah, the movie that says, like, everybody's racist and we can all work on being better. Instead of something that's actually, like, you know, about a thing. Yeah. Or there's a good white person in the yes. movie. So we don't feel bad about yeah. ourselves. The racist cop discovers some change within himself oh my because God. he pulls Way Newton out of a burning wreck. Oh um, God. Okay, con. I'm gonna. You're my best friend, Maria. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sandra Bullock in this movie. Is... Oh my God! Oh, you said her name. It's. Ugh. Oh God. Thank God we're gonna get into it, but thank God Brendan Fraser like his sins are fairly minimal in this movie. Yeah, he's he's not in this movie too much, but he is essential to this movie. He is essential, and he has some sins to atone yeah. for, but he's not like in the my top five yeah. of egregious actors. Well, here's the thing. So I want to. So let's talk about Brendan Fraser real quick. Where he's at. Yeah. In this movie. So uh, thank. First of all, thank you for listening to our episode on Looney Tunes back in action. Oh, that's like a movie very much in the same vein as Crash. No, I'm um, um, it was it was rough that Bugs Bunny was shot, <laughs> uh, and a police was killed in a police-involved shooting. Daffy Duck um, gets framed for murder. We're yeah. still trying to get him out. Hashtag um, Innocence Project. Um, so yeah, um, Brendan, you know he is on the wane in terms of like you know sick, popular success. On Looney, the wane. Looney Tunes didn't do great. Um, yeah, his last few like blockbustery things like your monkey bones didn't do too well. Um, mummy returns was, you know, it did well box office wise, but didn't do well critical wise. He's, you know, he's not finding his branch out of what he's known for. Yeah. And what he's known for isn't working as well. Yeah. Um, that being said, he is still a list at this time. And yeah, absolutely. Like he's in the Hollywood sphere. He's known. People know who he is. People are wait, like, if you see Brandon Fraser, you're like, oh, that might be interesting. Um, and that's essential to this movie getting made. Mm-hmm. Because this movie has a critically small budget, six point five million. Can you shed some light on how it's that so small with the cast that they have? I'll kind of talk about the Brendan context in the context with this movie. Yeah. So Paul Haggis, um, who directs and writes this movie, a year after he wins the Academy Award for writing Million Dollar Baby, the Clint Eastwood, Clint Eastwood, Clint Eastwood movie. Um, a year after that comes out, um, he writes this movie based on a true life event of his where he was held up at gunpoint and had his SUV stolen outside of a blockbuster video in uh, 1991. Rough, buddy. Yeah, he was walking out with a DVD of Alien 3. It has not yet been recovered. Um, no, I don't fucking know what movie he was writing. Um, so this, he writes this movie, and he you know, really tries to get it made. He's like, this is the movie Hollywood needs right now. It's the movie America needs right now. It's 2005. Bush is in the White House. You know, There's a lot of like race relations discussion going on. Yeah. Um, and so he you know, tries to get it made. He can only scrounge together a little bit of money. Um, what's the company that does agree to finance this? Uh, 
uh, producers Lionsgate, yeah. right? Uh, Kathy Shulman and Bob Yari are the producers of this movie. They, you know, offer him the budget that he gets on the condition he can get movie stars to be in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Don Cheadle's the first to sign up and become a producer on this. Mm-hmm. Um, Brendan Fraser is basically the final one who's cast, but he's the one who gets the movie a green light. Really? This movie doesn't get a green light until Brendan Fraser signs up. Really? Which I think is just essential to That's our discussion crazy. of this movie. Where you have Terrence Howard, uh, Don Cheadle, Sandra Bullock, Jennifer Esposito. Like, you have all these other stars, here's, and it's Fraser. Here, here's the thing. What do all those other stars have in common that Brendan Fraser does not? They're all Cabby Moore nominees? No. What? He's a white man. Well, yeah. Oh, so like, is that that's, yeah. is that really that dumb? I well, I don't know that for certain, but I think there's something oddly suspicious about the fact that I don't. know. That this, seems so dumb. That seems Stuart, too. Think about what this movie is about. I know this movie is so dumb. It, it would fit so perfectly with the narrative of this movie. We're if not the only way this thing gets greenlit is if they cast a white dude. is until the until the A list white male star gets cast. I think there's oh. something to that. Yeah. Now, yeah, I, 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 this is apocryphal. I don't know that for certain. I know that Brendan Fraser is like the thing that gets this movie greenlit. And besides Matt Dillon, he's the only, you know, prominent white male actor in this movie. And Matt Dillon is not a big name. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, Matt Dillon. It's I loved you and Capote. Or, come uh, over to Capone. your house and fucking curb stomp you. Yeah. <sighs> Matt, Matt Dillon in this movie. He's Academy Award s- nominee for this movie. For this movie? For this movie. He got nominated for yeah. this movie? There's there's one performance oh in this movie that I would not have been upset if they nominated. Oh, is that... Uh, Michael Pena. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, the instead nominate Matt Dillon as the racist cop who... You who know, finds has, the light. Who has, like, not a heart of gold, maybe a heart of bronze. <laughs> um, The one who walks into every scene and it's just like, I'm racist! Ah! And, like, punches someone in the face. Yeah. Uh, but no, that's Brennan gets this movie greenlit. Um, the movie does keep getting, you know, delayed and cycled through. A few actors drop in and out. Heath Ledger and John Cusack are at various points attached. Um, but they also thank God and you get it. Uh, but it's Lionsgate that funds this movie. Uh, it's those producers through Lionsgate. Okay. And so this movie does get made on a six point five million dollar budget. It's shot in thirty two days. You know who else is in this movie, Jeff? Who? You're not going to believe it when I tell you. Hit me with it. You're going to say it's ludicrous. Oh, yeah. ludicrous is in this movie. Ludicrous <laughs> Off of uh, Too Fast, Too Furious. Is in this movie. Um, we're going to talk about ludicrous in a little bit. Let's let's table the disc- ludicrous corner. The ludicorner. <laughs> so he gets shot in 32 days. $6.5 million budget. Paul Haggis has a fucking cardiac arrest midway through production. Delays treatment to finish the movie. Um, the film, a lot of the interior is at his own house. Oh my. It's his car used for a lot of the, like, driving work. The Lincoln? Not the or- Lincoln, um, but I can't remember which car. I think it's the, like, the yellow shit thing that they drive. I can't remember. Oh, yeah. Um. Pay cuts, the entire cast, you know, gets deferred salaries and pay cuts. I'm sure they make a decent amount of money on the back end. Um, but this movie is like an honest to God, like indie, you know, scrounging together for money. I just want to know how deal. the actors get paid. Like Brendan Fraser's deferred make, pay. 
Really? Yeah, they all def- they all got minimum, you know, the D like uh, minimum sag, sag, sag minimums yeah. and then deferred pay if the movie made money, which it did. Wow. This movie simultaneously makes a lot of money, but not a lot of money. Right, because you have to think of all the debts that he owes, probably. Yeah, well, this movie makes a lot of money for its budget level. It does not make a lot of money if you're considering, like, the grand, you know, right, but the grander at, scheme of Hollywood. Think about it, even at the end of the day, all the money he probably owes to people, mm-hmm. like... Oh yeah, the second this thing probably crossed fifty million, he probably Brandon had to probably shift got out. his million. He probably had to shift out a lot of cash. Um, yeah, that's essentially how this movie gets made. That's how Brendan gets involved. Cardiac arrest. Yes. Uh, Brendan. That's how Brendan gets involved. And even though he is, you know, the A-list actor who gets this thing off the ground, and you know, he's still atoning for those sins today. <laughs> Oh my god! I just found a IMDb trivial thing. Yeah, two Koreans were intentionally cast as I saw a Chinese I saw. couple to underscore the fact that most quote non Asians cannot or do not care to differentiate between the various Asian nationalities, and instead choose to refer to all of them (parentheses Chinese, Korean, Thai, Japanese, etc.) as quote Chinese, like the characters in the movie do. Yeah. Whoa, this movie's so meta, man. Wow. Crash is like, it's, it has, you know, racist ideas towards a lot of different cultures. Maybe it, it, it may in fact be most problematic towards Asian Americans. It is very problematic. I think that's maybe the the worst aspect of this movie. It is. No. And that's like saying a lot. Well, there is no like, I mean, there's like, some very small Asian roles. Yeah. But there's no Asian, like, storyline yeah. in this. No, Ludacris, like, almost kills uh, an Asian guy. I mean, he, he, he gets really close to him. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Uh, do we want to just kind of go into it? You know, no. In terms of... <laughs> no. <laughs> we don't want to. No. I really don't. What the... But I guess so. I mean, I'm trying to think, is there anything else to say about Brendan right now? Like... Roger Ebert. Yeah, he loves this movie. Four out of five stars. Uh, and he is he is paying uh, his sins in hell right now <laughs> as he pushes the rock up the hill every day. Um, Roger Ebert is all atoning right. in the, all, in the all, fields of Asphodel as we speak for right. his defense of all right. I'm, I'm 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 going to the Wikipedia <laughs> synopsis. I'm ready to talk about the fucking plot of this goddamn movie. Uh, <sighs> okay. All right, so we start. We're, yeah. in, we're in Los Angeles. Yeah, we start. Um, it's like it kind of looks like a bootleg Michael Mann. Yeah, um, is the aesthetic of this movie. I wrote score cool. I kind of like the music at the beginning. It's nice. Uh, I'm gonna try and get out as many good things as I can about this movie <laughs> off off the cuff at the start. Uh, um, we start with voiceover from Don Cheadle. Yeah, he's basically like, you can't even when you're in a crash. Yeah, he said he. <laughs> Don Cheadle says the word crash three minutes and 22 seconds into this movie. Uh, at that point, the credits do start rolling, and it is over. <laughs> Shockingly best That's... picture winner for a short film. Yeah. Um, but no, it's basically Cheadle's... I can't even remember the exact wording. of It's very verbose. The problem in this movie is that like all the dialogue is not how people would speak. Right. Among many other problems. No, yeah. But like, Don Cheadle's like, monologuing about essentially you know the existential nature of different people and cultures all crashing into each other and bounding off. Yeah. Like how we're all in like a pinball machine or something. Or like, you know, Mm -hmm. cars just driving down the road and we collide into each other. 
Yeah. And then like this his partner um whose name I cannot remember. Uh, Kim Lee played by Jennifer Esposito. Okay, Jennifer Esposito. Turns to him and is like I think that we were just in we were just rear-ended and you're having an existential moment. Yeah. And then we look and they have been rear-ended. And then coming... she gets out of the car and starts yelling at the woman who rear-ended into them, who's who like is an Asian, Asian. American. yeah, an Asian. The woman. movie has you think it's Chinese, as this lady's Chinese, when in fact the real actress is Korean. Yes, uh, and, not, not, I guess not important to the story. And then but. Don Cheadle walks over and he links up with another cop, and he's like, "What do we got?" And the cop's like, "Dead kid." And then the I want people to bookmark the Asian driver though. Yes, because she will be coming. Back. She will return. <laughs> she will return. Yeah, every character in this movie is like I understand the idea that it is a bunch of interconnected vignettes. Yeah, but it some of the coincidences in this thing are a little crazy. If you got out a whiteboard and like put like dots and string connecting it all, the timelines don't add up. Add up. There's like the one part which we'll talk about later in the movie where like Ludacris holds up Terrence Howard, and they're in a black Lincoln. That just happens to look like the black Lincoln that was robbed. And a cop car just happens to drive by at that exact moment. And it just happens to be the one cop who was at the other incident. And it's like the craziest series of coincidences to ever occur. In Los Angeles County. Yes. Where 7 million people Los live. Angeles. Los Angeles. Um, but, you know, che- Cheadle... He, yeah, he Cheadle hears, sees a dead kid. And then we see the title, Crash. 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 Um... We uh, then cut back the day before. We're yeah. First plot line is Sean Tube, right? It's the first thing we see is him trying to buy that gun. Uh, the first thing we see are the uh two is uh Brendan Fraser and Sandra Bullock because well what we first get is we get Ludacris and uh who's the other guy's name um Ludacris who is playing um. Uh, I think it's Anthony. Yeah. Oh no, we we do get the the gun scene first. No, we don't. I have it in my notes. Sean Tube and oh wait, no, no, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. I'm just going off the Wikipedia, man. You're correct. <laughs> uh, um, I wrote Sean Tube because he was in the opening credits, not because his scene came first. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's 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 ludicrous, and then his other partner, uh, Peter, uh. Played by, I cannot find the actor. Oh, Lorenz Tate. Lorenz Tate, yeah. Lorenz Tate, uh, playing Peter. So, uh, Ludacris and Lorenz Tate, uh, Anthony and Peter, are coming out of a restaurant. And Ludacris is going on this rant about, like, we got the worst service ever because the waitress clocked us as being black. And the stereotype is black people don't tip. So, she gave up from the get-go. And Peter's like, you know our waitress is black, right? And it's like, that doesn't mean she can't recognize stereotypes. And, like, the movie's already starting ludicrous off as, like, the... When I say this, I, I'm only saying this as, like, this is what the movie wants you to think. Yeah. The movie wants you to think that ludicrous is, like, your typical black man from the impoverished neighborhood who has been through it all to the yeah. point where he thinks he knows more than your common yeah. person and that he's become like a nihilist of 
Yeah, and what the scene's also trying to do, and why I think it's so dirty what it does immediately after. Yeah, because it's like the whole structure of the scene is that Ludacris is very cognizant of racial stereotypes. Yes. And is like pointing them out. And he's like, you know, because he sees Sandra Bullock and she kind of like nuzzles up to Brendan Fraser when she sees the two black guys walking. And he points it out. And he's like, yeah, you know, just, you know, look at white, pe- white people see two black guys walking around in their neighborhood. It's like, they we don't like, look like we're dressed up like gangsters. They right? immediately think that we're going to rob them. Right. And then you know what happens? They, they fucking rob, rob them. them. <laughs> they pull out their um, gun and they carjack them. Yeah. And like, here's the thing. You can, on a very baseline, see like what this movie's trying to say in this moment. It's trying to point him out as being like a hypocrite. Yeah. That everyone's a hypocrite. Everyone. Here's the thing. Yeah. It's really difficult for a white director like Paul Haggis to make this point, especially when the scene's based on his own experiences. Yeah. Well, you know, it, and, and for me, like I, I, I understood why he was like, like he, he's trying to like paint Ludacris as like the hypocrite role of like and, somebody who but is also he's someone who's trying to like he's like if they're gonna judge me i'm gonna live up to what i'm like yes being judged as yeah in revenge but of. but then it doesn't it doesn't make sense because like he he'll then go on later in the movie and be like well you notice like i only rob from white people because yeah. black people are scared of white people you don't see me scared of white people as a matter of fact when have i ever robbed a black person and you know what happens? He robs a black. Person. He tries to rob a black person. Yes, and and Terrence Howard tells him you embarrass yourself, and he is he, and then he rescues a bunch of migrants. And so, like, I don't understand the lesson that Paul Haggis is trying for us to learn through Ludacris. I don't understand it. I I I don't know if I if it's so deep and so meta that like I just can't comprehend it. But I'm guessing that's not the case. I'm guessing that you had what. I think is an interesting scene planned in your head where it's like you have two uh, young black men who are hyper aware that they are being stereotyped by their surroundings and then just kind of giving up on that reality and falling into that stereotype. And it also goes in with um, what's that fucking actor's name? The, the, the uh, internal affairs guy who talks to John to Don Cheadle, uh, William, William uh, Fickner Fickner. When he has a scene with Don Chino and he's like, fucking black people, am I right? He's like, what do you mean? <laughs> and yeah. he goes in this whole tirade about like, well, you see like the incarceration rate being like extremely high for black men as opposed to white men. And that goes into like, you know, impoverished neighborhoods, poor education, uh, bad upbringings and uh, all these things and a, a prejudicial judicial system. Um but that being said, it's like you guys know that, and yet you still fumble the ball. It it like that, but that that doesn't make any sense though. Then because it's like you're saying that these people have good reason to do that, but yet they should learn not to yeah. do that. Like I, that's, I think that's what I'm confused about I this whole. I think it's very hard for a. Canadian direct white director who comes from having made family law uh, right before this to delve into all these ideas um, and like expect he's going to have, you know, something profound to say. Can I, can I say something that yeah. might, might be like 
a tad bit controversial, yeah. but like it only goes to like my point. It's like I fully agree with the concept that there are some stories that certain people can only make. Yeah. Now, I think I know where you're going with this, and I I you say it. Well, I I don't necessarily fall into the camp of like only like only black people should make black stories yeah. or only gay people should make gay stories. I don't necessarily fall into that camp. However, however, I think that if if you are a Caucasian cisgender straight white male who wants to make a story about like a gay black man, you got to put the work in. You got to put so much fucking work into yeah. it because any sliver of laziness or shortcuts or stereotyping or just quick easy out writing schemes yeah. the audience catches on to it and not educated audiences all audiences yeah. do this I, this movie is very baseline that's and, the problem it doesn't go into anything there's a clear there's a clear lack of research into yeah. this like theme that he's trying to propose because again if, if you're if you're trying to say like Ludacris is a man who's a hypocrite because he is hyper aware of the stereotypes and rather than tries to disarm those stereotypes he instead embraces them yeah. but by doing so is that's not right that he should learn to do the other thing but it's understandable why they do the like yeah it it, it doesn't make any sense it, it simply is not a, a well yeah. thought out theme like one of Hagus's contemporaries is David Simon who did um The Wire and like Homicide Life on the Street and he wrote a lot of books about like racism especially in the Baltimore area mm-hmm. he put so much fucking work into all of his you know concept and he's worked with Hagus a few times yeah um but there's clear like definable research and like ideas and like so many layers of thought in everything that he does yeah you watch this, there it doesn't seem like there's layers of thought. No. Like it's it's kind of you know, it's baseline. Yeah. It's like, well, why is the racist cop and why is he racist? Because his dad's factory got replaced in a um by minority preferred business voucher yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Hagus said the reason he wrote this movie is to bust liberals, arguing that his fellow liberals were not honest with themselves about the nature of race and racism because they believed that most racial problems had already been resolved in American society. That is completely bug nuts backwards. Yes. Sorry, can you say that one more time? He wrote this movie to bust liberals, which, to arguing that fellow liberals were not honest with themselves about the nature of race and racism because they believed that most racial problems had already been resolved in American science. Which, You're out of your fucking mind. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. In 2005? Four years after 9-11? Yeah, here's the thing. Are you batshit crazy? Here's the thing. He's, like, that's a cor- kind of correct sentiment in that, you know, there was kind of this post-racial liberal idea around 2005 where like yes uh, like yes, especially where a lot yeah. of people were acting like we've solved racism guys it's yeah. the, it's the you know the oh the clinton effect yeah of like you know i'm not gonna say bill clinton said like racism is gone but you know his you know neoliberal policies and you know the new liberal movement in the 90s kind of transitioned into the idea of like a post-racial society but then we found out that the late 80s early 90s into the 2000s policy on for instance the war on drugs which we all thought yeah uh, Yeah. which was all perceived at the time as being a non-racially yeah by saying something is not racist doesn't mean that it isn't and that you just said the theme yeah of early 2000s racism 
That encompasses the theme of early two yeah. thousands racism is saying that it's not racist. And he said he made so he basically made this movie to remind people like, hey guys, racism's still around. As if like, but his examples to show that racism are still around are not unique and interesting like perspectives of yeah. what racism is because he uses old he yeah. uses old stuff like the the cop that pulls over the black couple yeah or like the uh, Persian storefront owner yeah. who isn't trustworthy yeah. of the Latino locksmith like yeah. he's using very baseline examples. You know what a great movie about mid two about like mid two thousands racism is? Like just an incredible movie about like the way that racism and like Well give me a minute and I can pull one, but you probably have one already. Munich. Yeah. A movie that was nominated for Best Picture the same year. Yeah. Um you know what another great movie about like um uh you know, stereotyping and feeling like an oppressed minority is Brokeback Broke Mountain. Mountain. <laughs> um, and that's the thing. Like, this movie points out a problem and doesn't offer a solution. And that's why people probably voted for it. And I don't... Because they're like, wow, that's a good point. Racism is still a problem. And it's everybody's problem. Yeah, and it's everybody's fault. It's every. It makes you feel good, doesn't it? Like, that. that's the thing. Is like... Doesn't it make you feel good to know, hey, everyone's responsible for racism. We can all work on it. Did it blow your mind that a movie like Green Book got made at the time it did? No, not at all. Green Book got made in the middle of the Trump administration. It made perfect That's sense. True. It makes perfect sense. That's very true. Green Book also... Here's the thing. Green Book, at least, is funny. Um, this movie has, like, one funny scene in it. But Green Book has the thing of every scene in that movie is, like, they pull up... And Vigo Mortensen gets out, and he's, like, eating, like, a two-foot-long... Chicken leg. Like, no, like a meatball sandwich or something. He's like, I don't know. Why is the detail so racist? Oh, what's going on? I'm just a guy from Brooklyn, eh? <laughs> like, every scene of that fucking movie is, like, he's like, I don't know nothing about racism. I'm from the Bronx. <laughs> it's like, wait a second. All right, buddy. Yeah, you he's like, ah, va fan you know, the racist, it's a nothing, eh? I mean, it just, it, it freaks me out in the way that, like, you know, the Hollywood liberal industry yeah. is still, like, falling into these, like, yeah. easy white savior traps. Yeah. Uh, but we also, like, you know, just putting out the fact that we are two white guys talking yeah. about an early 2000s movie about racism. And yeah. while we see, while we see, like, absolutely the error in its ways, I'm sure there are movies that come out to this day that I might be pro- that I'm not, I'm not yeah. really thinking at the time. It's like you know, as it's going to age and think in the future. Like, is this movie really progressive, or is it just falling into making you feel better about yourself? That's why the core is like seeking out differing perspectives about everything that we watch, and that's why we're having this conversation now. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think. Like, what, what else? What What in the plot should we talk about? Well, I mean, we can go through like the. Beat should we just go through the various? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So obviously, like. Um, so yeah, Brendan Fraser, Sandra Bullock, they're playing, uh, Gene and, uh, Pants. Rick. That was a bad joke. Sorry. Keep going. Okay. Gene and Rick Cabot. Yeah. Uh, Rick, Ricochet O'Connell. Yeah. Is the district attorney. Of district Los attorney Angeles. played by Brendan Fraser. He's district attorney for, um, uh, Los Angeles County. They're walking down the street and that, this is when Ludacris and Lawrence Tate 
yeah. carjack them, steal their car, drive off. And they're driving away, and as that's happening... They drive by um, Don Cheadle and his partner, who are investigating a homicide. Yes. Um, where and a... This is a, 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 a black police officer... Got shot by, by a, a white, white police, police officer. officer. And it's already... This is a very... They're both undercover cops. I didn't catch. I didn't catch that. It, it, they established that they're both undercover cops, so like they're not dressed in their like cop outfits, or they're just detectives. Like, why do you? I don't get it. But whatever. Uh, and so, yeah, they're they're investigating the shooting of a black cop by a white cop, and they're they're they established that this white police officer involved has killed two other black men prior. Now they've all cleared him. When every time he, he like this happens, he gets cleared, but barely like there's some reason behind it. He has some type of justifiable cause and he hasn't been like arrested or punished yeah. for any of these murders yet. So he him and his partner, uh, Jennifer Esposito, Kim Lee, are they are charged with the task of like figuring this out. Yeah. Seeing like, was he justified in killing this guy? Um, meanwhile. So that's going there. Um, then the uh, this is when we go back to Brendan Fraser, Sandra Bullock at their yeah. house. So Sandra Bullock is maybe the worst performance in this movie. That's not even maybe. She is the worst performance. She in this movie. is the worst performance in this movie. Like, I just like, what is Sandra Bullock doing where she signs up for these movies? Crash and then the blind side. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Is San- like is Sandra Bullock somebody who like any role that she can take to prove that she's not a racist she like grabs? Uh, I mean, I'm not gonna you know say what you want to say, Jeff. She like I get the vibe from her that she's just you know someone who like really you know she just kind of doesn't want to be racist and she wants to like say if she sees an opportunity to be like. This is a great point. We should make, we should do this. She'll say it, but she's not like she's she, like Paul Hagen. She's not really thinking much deeper because the she she's thinking about the cheese. She wants a cheeseburger instead of a steak. She doesn't want to chew on these things. She just wants like the easy. But I don't know what I'm trying to say. Well, but. no, because I I said this too. I watched this with my girlfriend last night, and I said this about Sandra Bullock's character. Where it's like if you had to put like a description about this role for an audition tape. Do you know what that description would be? What? Racist bitch. Yes. <laughs> That's all it is. She's just, she's she's a racist yeah. uh, wife of a wealthy district attorney yeah. who treats people like shit around her. And so they're getting their locks changed. Yeah. And it's being changed by... Michael Pena. Michael Pena. Who has, like, some tattoos. Yeah, and some she, tattoos. And, and she, in all her subtlety, walks up to Brian Fraser like, I want the locks changed again in the morning! Yeah. And of course, Mike, and she's like, I don't want that gangbanger changing our locks and telling all his homie friends to come in. And of course, Michael Pena hears this. Yeah. And he's like, all right, the locks are changing. Put the keys down. He walks out. Yeah. The uh, one storyline that I can like stomach in this movie. Oh, Michael Pena is incredible in this movie. He is he's incredible. remarkable in this movie. It's a yes. beautiful performance. And it's sad that he gets lumped in with these jokers. Yeah. And it's sad he gets lumped in. And, this, and his storyline kind of ends in like the shittiest fucking scene of the movie. Um, yeah. Um, 
with Mr. Farhad, who we'll talk about shortly. <sighs> God. Um, oh, God. I don't want to go there. So, I really don't want to go there. I really don't want to yeah, go there. The next scene is... Um, I think Fra- that plot line disturbs me the most. Yeah. That's the um, the worst. I mean, there's so many. I don't know how to say the worst offender in this movie. That is full of worst offenders. But um, anyway, the um, next the next scene is that um, Sergeant John Ryan, who's the Matt Dillon character, Academy Award nominee for this performance, yep. uh, is searching for um, Fraser's car. Yeah, and, and he and he's with his new partner, um, uh, Thomas Hansen. Uh, Thomas, I think you're messing up the character name. His character name is Sergeant. Uh, definitely not a racist. Yes, um, <laughs> definitely not a racist. Yes. Definitely He's not definitely a, good guy cop. Good boy cop. Yeah, good guy cop. Good boy um, cop. Don't see color. No, his name is Sergeant Goodapple. I don't I don't see color. What are you talking about? Sergeant Goodapple spelled G U D space A P P E L. <laughs> good apple. Uh, it's like German of some kind. Um and then, you know, Matt Dillon's playing and Bad course, Apple B A H space D space A P P E L. Yes. Bod Apple. John Ryan, who's been on the force for like 18 years. Tom Hansen, yeah. who's like new to the job. Yeah. And they, they pull classic. Over, they pull over an SUV that looks like the stolen one, but Ludacris is not in it. Instead, Terrence Howard is. Terrence Howard. And he's pitching Terryology. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's like, the flower of creation has been. Have you ever watched the ter- Terryology video? No. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen of the audience, just reaction. No, no. We don't have time. We simply do not have time. We have a whole movie to talk about, Jeff. No, we got to talk uh, about Terryology. I know Terrence Howard is like one of the craziest actors in this industry. Um, Terrence Howard's a fucking lunatic. <laughs> he is a lunatic. Um, I do have to say this for the audience. So uh, Jeff and I both live in Chicago, Illinois. We do. We both it's work true. In, we both work in the film industry. And while him and I were both not working at the time when the Showtime TV series Empire. Here we go. This is Terryology. Everyone keeps trying to tell me, don't say it's forever. But I've spent 37 years pretending to be people so that people can pretend to watch and enjoy what I'm doing when. I've made some discoveries in my own personal life with the science that, you know, Pythagoras was searching for. I was able to open up the flower of life properly and find the real wave conjugations that we've been looking for for 10,000 years. Why would I continue, you know, walking on water for tips when I've got an entire generation to teach a whole new world? That's a big (laughs) (laughs) What? What? <laughs> He's opened up the flower. Flower cre- of life? <laughs> He's opened up the flower creation, folks. Uh, he calls it teriology. And the core of it is that two... It's a... It's a wait, let me find it. How many followers does teriology have? Um, one, his name is Terrence Howard. <laughs> Ter- I'm going to look up Terrence Howard. Oh I, think it's, I think the core of it is one times one equals two. <laughs> Okay, yeah. one his the core of his belief is that one times one equals two. And he says the media is lying to you by saying it doesn't. 
Yeah, Terrence Howard. Uh, uh, great, we, great A lunatic. As we know, one plus one equals two. Yes. One times one equals one because it's one one time. Yeah. Um. He said, "How can it equal one? If one times one equals one, that means that two is of no value because one times itself has no effect." And that's the core of teriology. Anything times one equals itself, though, Terrence. One I, phone multiplied by itself, yeah. one. No, not it's even one phone. itself. It's multiplied by one derogatory of itself. Yeah. We're not doubling it. We're multiplying it by the single value of the object. Yeah, and it is already one. So it's one phone. Anyway, I think teriology is maybe the funniest thing to happen in modern. Um, My only point... I, I have a story. I, I... Say it on the air. You coward. Uh, Say it on the I air. I have a Terrence Howard story. Not myself, but you know I've heard through the grapevine. Well, what I was telling the audience was we live in Chicago. We work in the film industry. Yeah. And we were not around when the... Is it Showtime M- series? I don't fucking remember. What is Empire? Empire, Empire was the filming. The show of which Terrence Howard being one of the main leads. Yeah. And we know a lot of people who worked on that show. Yeah. And I've heard some stories. Yeah. Have you heard some stories? I know. I have a really good story. I don't, I don't think I can say it on air. I mean... I'm going to say it. No, don't, don't cut. Um, just so we have this for posterity, but you should cut this out. Yeah. Um, I have a story that Alex Wilson was telling me. <laughs> he went into... Hold on, hold on. This I actually do need to cut this out, so I am actually yeah. going to put down the timestamp. Yeah. 4100. Yeah. Okay. Alex Wilson was telling me the story that um, he, someone he knew was first team PA on Empire, and Terrence Howard was refusing to come out of his trailer. <laughs> and they sent the PA in there to get him. And they walked in, he's sitting on the floor like this, with whiteboards of equations <laughs> around him. <laughs> and I was like, hey, Terrence, we're ready for you. And he look, he turns around, like, fucking looking stressed, and he turns to the piano. Guys, he says, like, Alex, do people think I'm crazy? <laughs> and, uh, and the piano's like, no, 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 just need you on set. <laughs> That's the story that I heard, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we can get back. Um, all right. Where, all, where did I just leave? That's off? only one minute. Wait. Okay, well, you I, were saying you know a Terrence yeah, Howard story. Yeah. I I don't think I can say it though. Um. Anyway, so Terrence Howard gets pulled over. Um, and Tandy Way Newson, Tandy Way Newton is in the the passenger he seat. Plays his wife. Yeah, he's a television director named Cameron. Um, they just came from an award show. Yes. She's a little drunk. He isn't. And they're driving behind them, and the the young officer, good boy, yeah, is like no, good apple, good right. apple. It's like it, we know it's not the car; the plates don't match. And then he shines his spotlight, and you see Tandaway Newton lifting up her head, like as if she had just she was giving him a blowjob, yeah. in, in the front seat, yeah. And so Officer John, Ro- you know, bad apple is like, oh, oh, I'm gonna ruin these bitches yeah. tonight. I'm gonna. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Whoop, whoop, whoop. And then turns his lights on, pulls him over. Uh, Terrence Howard, Tandaway Newton, uh, they play it off cool. They're like, oh, whatever. And so, you know, John Ryan walks up. He's like, I need to see your license registration. Keep scans where I can see them. It's like, I'm going to need to reach for my registration in the glove compartment. Is all right if I do that? 
So he does that, gives it to the cop. John Ryan walks back, says, process this, comes back. He says, like, we haven't been drinking tonight, officer. Like, you know, I'm I'm totally fine. We just came from an award show. And he's like, I need you to step out of the vehicle. Things start to escalate. This place is a tale as old as time. Yeah. That we all know about. It, I'll just... To get to cut to the chase, like they pull them both out of the vehicle. Tana we Newton is 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 mouthing off the officers justifiably. She's like, "Why are you guys doing this? Like he he didn't do anything wrong." So it's like hands up against the vehicle. Yeah. We're gonna do a search. John Ryan searches Tana we Newton and assaults her. Yeah, he molests her. Yeah, he sticks his hands in her crotch. Yeah, and Terrence Howard can only watch. Yeah, he doesn't do anything. And he says, and she's know, like, "Do something." And, and he's like, no. And John Ryan's like, well, you can just apologize to us and we'll let you off with a warning. Yeah. Or if you give us any more cause, we can bring you in. And Terrence Howard's like, we're sorry, officer. Yeah. And then he lets him go. Goes back. Um, And then when we cut back later to them at the house, she's obviously pissed at him. She's like, how could you just stand by while that man assaulted me? I just can't believe you let him do that for your own sake. It was humiliating. And he's like, what do you want me to do? He has a gun. He's a cop. In case you haven't noticed, I'm black. And Terrence Howard's arc in this is that he's not black enough? He's like is that what to, it is? He's like trying to conform. He's like conforming to a white society and losing touch with like. Because Tandaway Newton says it herself. It's like, yeah, well, it's like, at least I wasn't. Uh. It's like you. It's like the most black you ever were was when you watched Bill Co- the Bill Cosby Show, which yeah. <laughs> funny yeah. now rough rough. And he's like, well, at least I didn't watch it with the equestrian team. Yeah. Uh, so it's like they both are kind of from like a more affluent, white, yeah, yeah, white, white centric conf- society. Yes. And she says to herself, like, yeah, I may not have learned to chuck and jive like you mm. have. So yeah. it, it it reads that they're that the story that the they're trying to make with these people is that they're not black enough and they live in a white con- white centric society that they conform yeah. to, and this carries later once we go when we're with Cameron on set, yeah, which we'll talk about later, um, which is a funny scene. Uh, it's a weird scene. Hanson the cop, um, he gets transferred away from Matt Dillon. Um, he he can't get transferred for accusations of racism because his superior officer doesn't want that on his record. Yeah. Um, so he gets transferred. Matt Dillon confronts him about it. He's like, you knew be on the force for a few more years and you learn, you learn. And Oh boy, does he learn by the end when he just fucking kills an innocent black guy? Um, yeah. And so then the next scene is Matt Dillon goes to his insurance company um, yeah, because his dad. We learned that the reason he's racist is because his dad has a like a U- UTI, which might be a prostate. Yeah, his dad's problem. like older, debilitated. He lives with uh, Matt Dillon at his home. He yeah. takes care of him, yeah. but he's like in pain all the time, and so he tries to reach out to his doctors constantly. But his dad's on like a very strict like Medicaid Medicare policy. Yeah. So it's all about like, oh, like you have to talk to the doctor. It's like, well, the doctor's an idiot, blah, blah, yeah. blah. And he's talking to uh, a black receptionist. Yeah. And he's like, what's your name? Shaniqua Johnson. And he says, of course it is. Well, the scene, the end, uh, he goes there in person. The he next goes day. there in person eventually. And it's this remarkable scene. 
where Matt Dillon walks in and he like is very polite and he's like, yeah, you know, the doctors are messing with, I just need to, you know, get him checked out by someone else. And she's like, well, you fucking yelled at me on the phone last night. Firstly, secondly, you got to go through your doctor. And then he's like, of course you would say that you black person. <laughs> he just launches into this racist. Well, tirade. because he then goes on. He, he, before then he went on a tangent of like, listen, my father worked in, worked in construction. He hired like an all black crew, paid them all the same back when no one was doing that. Yeah. Um, and he's like, but then the city came out with minority preferred contracts. My father lost everything. Everything. He lost his job. He lost his wife. He lost his house. He lost it all. Did he ever hold anything against you people? No, he didn't. But I sure do. Right. He pulls his gun. No. Um. But the movie does. Like, here's the thing, Jeff. The movie plays it off like we're supposed to be upset at both him and the receptionist. Yeah. Because of the line when yeah. she says, listen, that story you just told me, like, if your father had came in and told me what you just said, I would have approved you for this. But because it was you, I'm not going to approve this. And that's when he freaks out. Security yeah. roughs him out. Yeah. Problem. The move that scene wants you to sympathize with him. To not fully be on his side, yeah. but to understand where he's coming to from. To understand where he's coming from and to feel slightly jaded in the same way he does. Yeah. That's what the movie wants you how want, wants you to feel. Does not succeed. No, it doesn't, because you the whole time you know, I'm like five minutes before that scene, he molested a black woman. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Anything this movie wants you to feel for Officer John Ryan does not succeed. Yeah, does not compute. The moment he molests a black woman. Yes. So I feel no sympathy. Paul for Haggis. This man. Bad move. Bad move yeah. on that part. It was just if not a movie... good move. <clears throat> if he had like pulled them over and was being discriminatory yeah. and like put them up, put hands yeah. up on the hood, check their license. All right, you guys have a fine night. Like still discriminatory, yeah. still well, racist, is, but like that's not... the three billboards outside Emming, Missouri character, the same Rockwell character. Yeah. He's like he's racist and he has a redemption arc. And I still, I don't think it fully works in that movie, but yeah. right. Like, at, at least he doesn't molest somebody. Right. Yeah, he's not a rapist. Yeah. Um, he's a racist. Whereas Matt Dillon, like, you know, if this movie had just gone all out and made him, like, uber racist. And a rapist? No, like, just made him, like, the worst fucking human to ever exist. Oh. Like, at least you could hate him. Instead, you just, like, you just abhor this character and you don't want to spend time with him. But the movie wants us to spend time with him and yeah. get to know him. Yes. And it expects us to falter. Yeah. But here's the problem. You you can't. You can't falter with this guy. Not with the things that we saw him do. Because later when he rescues Tannyway Newton from a burning car, the point the movie wants to make is like, all right, they're on even footing now. <laughs> it's like, wait a second. Wait, no. 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 He's getting paid to do that, bro. Yeah. He gets a pension and health insurance yeah, to do that. what he just it did. It is good that he got her out of the burning car. Because it, it does not excuse the fact that he raped her the previous day. Because what's the alternative? Yeah. Leaving her there? Then then you really crucify his yeah. character. Yeah. But the fact that he got her out just doesn't simply put him on even footing. It means that he can be a cop. Yeah. He does what he gets paid to do. Which, guess what? Racist cops, like, 
They're yeah. still cops. Yeah. They still pull people over. Yeah. They still respond to calls. Like, um, <sighs> we cut back to the carjacked SUV. It's fucking aggravating. Where they, they run over. <laughs> Pissed off. Where we get the strangest scene <laughs> in this movie where they run over an Asian man <laughs> in oh. their car uh, who's like unlocking the side of a van. Yeah. And we see the keys are still dangling, and they get out, and Lorenz is just like, there's a Chinaman under the car. And Ludacris uh, leans down. We get this very strange shot of this guy like hanging on the vibe. He's like, help! And he's all bloodied up, too. Yeah. It's pretty gruesome. Yeah. Um, and they pull this guy out, and they bring him to the emergency room. Drop him off. Yeah, because off. you know there, there might be some you know tension there, but they're, they're not bad people. That's what the movie's saying. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so they drop him off. I'm gonna kind of speed around some of this. Stuff. Well, Are you they, okay with that? They, they, yeah, they take they take the link into a car shop where they normally sell stolen cars. Yeah. The guys like, have you There's watched the blood discount? all over the fucking car? Yeah, we're gonna torch the car. Yeah, um, and then uh, Brandon Fraser, the district attorney, is like trying to sort out with, with his publicist because he's running for re-election how to handle the carjacking thing. Yeah. Because he's like, if I lose the black vote, if I condemn them, but I, then I lose the law and order vote, if I don't condemn them. And so he's like, you know what I need to do? I need to pin a medal on a black man. Yeah. And then he's like, well, there's this one guy who fought in Iraq. Oh, sweet. What's his name? Saddam. He's like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm not doing that, chief. <laughs> that is the tone of that scene. It's very, he's like, I'm not doing that. It's like, oh, yeah, let me just pin a medal on an Iraqi named Saddam. Like, yeah. oh, my fucking God. This movie. Um, the next two That is Brendan Fraser's biggest sin in this movie was yeah. that scene. Yeah. So, Brendan, you know, he he, he gets wind of this uh, this police-on-police shooting. Yes, we go back to that scene. And he asked them to bring in Ter like uh, Don Cheadle to kind of help them sort it out. Yeah. Um, Don Cheadle, meanwhile, goes and visits his mom who's been trying to call him to find his younger brother who's gone missing. Yeah. Um, which, and he doesn't, you know, he's like, my brother chose a life of like crime and ne'er do welling. So I'm not really putting yeah. much work into him. We also are introduced to Mr. Farhad. Um, who's an actor who is played by Sean tube. Um, who is Yinsen from Iron Man. Yeah. Um, I just want to quickly shout out Sean tube, not for this movie. Um, but the entire Marvel universe does not work without Sean Tube's very, you know, tender performance in the first Iron Man. Yeah. I think his performance in that is really, like, special. Mm -hmm. He's putting in really, like, subtle, tender work in that those opening scenes of Iron Man. Mm -hmm. And the entire Marvel universe does not work without that performance. Um, and I just want to shout him out before I very quickly <laughs> go into this movie where his, where his character is, like... Every stereotype about Middle Eastern people ever put into one character. Yeah. He, like, runs a convenience store. One. Refuses to have his door fixed Two. because he doesn't understand English. Yep. Um, hates everyone who's not Middle Eastern. Three. Um, Can't he, read his insurance policy because he didn't read English. Yeah. He Four. buys a gun. Five. Um, he tries to shoot somebody. Can't tell if the ammunition's real or yeah. not. Six. He's played as, like, stupid and... It's so offensive. Quick to anger and yelling. It is so offensive. Yes. It is such an offensive character. I just pointed character. out seven things yeah. that we just it said. It is such an offensive character. Yes, it is. Um, I can do his entire storyline real quick. Well, it's just sad. Yeah. It, his it, thing is really sad because of how offensive it is. Because trying to tr I tell, like, go through this plot, jumping from story to story to story, is, is 
it's getting difficult to kind of keep track of this all. Yeah. I was going to go through his storyline. Yeah. Um, so he, he tries to, his back door isn't locking. He has Michael Pena come and fix the lock. Michael Pena tells him it's not the lock, it's the door. And he yells at Michael Pena. He's like, fix the lock. Michael Pena's like, fix the lock. It's like, I did fix the lock, but it's not the lock. That's the problem. It's the door. He's like, fix the lock. Just fix the lock. And so Michael Pena like takes his receipt and throws it out and fucking storms out. He's like, just don't pay me. Like, whatever. And so the door isn't fixed. You're trying to cheat me. Overnight, the convenience store gets broken into and uh, vandalized. Vandalized. Yeah. And uh, the next day... They write hate speech on the door yeah, or something And like the next that. day, Mr. Farha comes back, and he's like, the store was the only thing I had. He calls his insurance company, tells him that they're not going to cover anything because he was warned that the back door was broken and never got it fixed. Yeah. Uh, so he grabs his gun, and he goes to Michael Payne's his house. His gun, which was the first scene we saw him and his daughter Doris yeah. in, they bought a gun because the store got robbed like some time yeah. ago, so they bought a gun for self-defense. Yeah. The daughter then buys some ammunition, and she just says, like, any ammunition or whatever. And so he gives him this box. He's like, that'll work just fine. Yeah. Note that. It'll be important yeah. later. Uh, and so he finds the receipt, and it's Michael Pena's address. So he goes to Michael Pena's house. Do you know any fucking locksmith receipt that has their home address? Well, no. It, it just has the name, and he gets a Yellow Pages uh, and finds the address. Back in Yellow Pages. Yeah. A yep. book full of addresses and It's crazy that, that just, like, was a thing that we had. I mean, it still is. Yeah, they still have it. But it's weird that, like, the Terminator. I need to I need to find a woman named Sarah Connor. Where do I go to? Yellow Pages. It's really... F- that, three that, of them. That whole sequence it in really Terminator makes it is easy. so funny that he just, like... He's like, process of elimination. <laughs> he just, like, goes, like... He's like, house... Wrong, Sarah Connor. Process of elimination. <laughs> he goes to the next fucking name in the... Whoops, wrong person. Process of elimination, one left. Say what you will, though. Yellow Pages made hunting down a target very, very easy. Oh, I have four John Smiths I got to kill in L.A. All right, I'll start one by one. Uh, But he goes to Daniel Ruiz's house. He's Michael Pena, whose whole storyline is just that he has his, you know, he loves his daughter. Yeah, his five-year-old daughter, and they moved out of a bad neighborhood. Uh, He has a wife who lives at home. Um, and they have a very nice touching scene because he gets home and from the Cabot's yeah. house from changing Sandra Bullock's locks and he sees the daughter underneath the bed. She's like, I thought I heard like a loud bang. And it's like, oh, it was a truck. No, it sounded like a gunshot. It's like, remember that gunshot that went through your window at our old place? And she's like, yeah, it's like, well, here's the thing. She's like, how are you not scared of guns? And I'm like, it's because when I was young. They're a fairy visited my house. They gave me this impenetrable scarf that's invisible, and you put it around your neck. And he's, she's like, really? It's like, yeah. It's like here. And he like does this gesture where he like takes off the imaginary scarf, puts it on his daughter, and he's like, do you feel anything? It's like, no. Then it fits just perfect. Keep it on all the time, and you be impenetrable to bullets. Sidebar. Yeah. What a terrible thing to teach your daughter. Yeah. That is a horrible thing. Yeah. Um. Do not teach your yeah. children, ladies and gentlemen of the audience, that they are impenetrable to bullets. Yes. Ever. Yeah. No, Ever. Bad idea. You know, and we're going to learn why momentarily. Uh, so the end of both their storylines is Farhad comes to Michael Pena's house and holds a gun at him. And the girl, his daughter, sees this and runs out and jumps in front of the gun. And Farhad fires and shoots her. And like it's this, we get Michael Pena like, screaming in anguish at the death of his daughter. And yeah. Mr. Fraud's like, no, I didn't mean to. And then his daughter's like, I stopped the bullet, daddy. And we realize 
This motherfucker bought a box of blanks. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's the most offensive scene in this movie. Yeah. Like, it is so offensive that this movie uses the fake out of, like, the death of a child. Yeah. For emotion. To, like, emotionally manipulate us. Yep. It is disgusting. It is disgusting. Yeah. Uh, I don't even want to talk about it anymore. It's such a despicable scene. You don't have scene. to. Yeah. That's the that that's what happens. Yeah. Um, ne- uh, we I want to go back to. Who the fuck do I want to go back to? Uh, the only thing I can think of is like it's ludicrous and uh, Grand State uh driving down with the with it because their car gets torched. They're they're walking on the sidewalk. He goes on the spiel about a bus. About like you yeah. know why the bus has big windows so you could see all the people of color inside riding in shame. Yeah, that's like okay. Um, and then he, Terrence Howard is driving by himself. Oh, you know what? We need to talk about the Terrence Howard story. Yeah, when he goes on set. So Terrence Howard, after the whole argument with Terrence and um, his Tandy wife, way. what Tandyway, Tandyway, um, we cut to a scene where Terrence Howard is directing a TV show on set. And he's like, cut, check that, moving on. And they're like, okay, moving on, guys, blah, 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 blah. And then he goes to Crafty. And one of the actors, white actors, comes up to him and he says, hey, Cameron, you notice that, uh, I don't know what the guy's name is. You notice that the, my, you know, the other guy, the other actor, he's not talking black enough? Yeah. It's like, well, what do you mean by that? Well, in the script, it's written. Uh, I don't. I. I don't know nothing about that. Yeah. And he changes it to. I do not know anything about that. Yeah. I don't think that's black enough. Don't you think? Yeah. Is and he, and Cameron at first like laughs it off. He's like, "What are you talking about? Like, it, it, the yeah. audience is gonna see that he's black. Like, yeah. it's fine." But then the white actor gets like sort of hostile. He's like, "Do we have a problem here, Cam?" Yeah. Which I don't know the political structures of Cameron's job on set. Yeah. If this actor is like an executive producer and could fire well, him, I think it's a writer, second. isn't it? Oh, was it the? I thought it was a co-star. I think it's a writer. Oh, um, I think that's the idea. Oh, I missed that part. But you know, what part I like in the scene is when Terrence Howard goes, "All right, check the gate. We'll move on to the next shot," and all the lights on the stage go off because that's the thing that happens when you move on to the next shot. Is they turn all the lights off. Well, my favorite thing is that. They talk about that for five minutes. Yeah. And they're like, I think you should go again. Yeah. And they're like, should. all right, going again. And they are all, they, like, here's the thing. We work in TV. The moment you say moving on, check that, new deal, the cameras are already moving into yeah. a different position. The lights are moving into a different position. You cannot simply talk for five minutes and then come back and say, no, actually, we're going to go back yeah. to that original setup and do it again. I mean, you can, yeah. but it's a much bigger deal. Yes. There's something that I had to throw out there. Uh, but yeah, the whole reason he has to go again is because he needs to tell the actor yeah. to speak, be more black. Uh, on the way home from work, he gets held up by Ludacris. Yes, he he he's like driving on his own. We still haven't talked about the car yeah. crash that Officer John Ryan takes. Yeah. Um, Officer John Ryan rescues Tannyway Newton from a car crash. Yeah. And before that, he's like yelling some racist stuff. His, his whole performance makes one long for the subtlety and grace of Jack Nicholson's Joker performance um, in, in his villainy. Yeah. Because uh, she, like, yeah. in the car accident, like, he, he responds to, like, a car crash. He, the one car's flipped over. The other car's on fire. Yeah. 
He crawls underneath the car and sees Tandaway Newton strapped to like the seatbelt. And she's like struggling to get out. And then she makes eye contact with him and she freaks out. It's like, no, no, not you. Not you. Don't touch me. Don't touch yeah. me. He's like, ma'am, ma'am, I'm going to get you out of this yeah. car. Okay. And it's, it builds up like he is a heroic yeah. deed. And he and, gets her out. And he gets her out. And the car explodes. Yeah. And they're on even footing. Yeah. No. And then like she apologizes to Terrence Howard because she's like, well, maybe that cop wasn't all bad, even though he raped me. Fuck this. Um, Terrence, ah! Terrence Howard gets held up by Ludacris. <laughs> yes. Um, and then some cops pull up, including the Hanson, Good Apple. Um, Terrence Howard like drives into a chase and pulls into someone else's Ludacris yard. Ludacris in the passenger seat. Yeah. With and a gun. Terrence Howard takes the gun, gets out, and like yells at the cops. And he's like a. Pr- and th- <sighs> what was your interpretation of this like whole gesture? Because I saw it as, oh, he wants to like commit suicide by cop. I think he finally just like had enough like it was all weighing on him yeah that's what happened and he just like starts yelling at the cops and officer hansen talks him down because they're all ready to shoot terrence howard but officer hansen's like no no no, i know this guy yeah a great coincidence yes in los angeles county um yeah it just happens to work out because he's like he puts he takes he's like listen yeah like just turn around get back in your car and go home yeah you're off with a warning Um, Ludacris in the front seat of the car this whole time. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I kind of want to speed through the rest of this. Um, uh, so that's no, the, Jeff, I want to drag this yeah, out. Yeah, that's the end of the Terrence Howard story. He drops Ludacris off and says, you embarrass me. You embarrass yourself. Yeah. Because uh, apparently, like, you know, him screaming and yelling outside of the yeah. car was not embarrassing. We him. cut to Don Cheadle and uh, Thomas, uh, uh, whatever that guy's name is. William Fickner. William Fickner, yes. William Fickner, who plays an Eternals Affair officer. Yeah, and uh, and they're talking about Don Cheadle reveals that in the black cops trunk they found like three hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, and they're like, it's a little, it's like, oh, so we're ready for the press conference. Can you say that the white officer did it and he's bad? He's like, well, I can't quite say that because it's a little more complicated. It's like, what? What do you mean it's more complicated? We need to give them a narrative. We need to make sure this guy goes down. Yeah, William Fickner, who plays like, uh, like a white savior for the black people. He's like, like he's, he's the DA's fixer. Like he just kind of makes problems go away. Um, and you know, the narrative that the DA is trying to push is like, this is an evil white cop. We're going to, we're going to get rid of an evil white cop. Yeah. That makes me look good. Um, and Cheadle's just like, I don't know. It's more complicated. And then, you know, he, he, Essentially gets coerced into because it doing, says your brother has a lot of has, has a, big, a record we has can a, make that go away yeah and so eventually he there's one scene with Brendan Fraser and Don Cheadle where he's like hey so what do I tell the press conference and then Don Cheadle's like I think you tell them that it's exactly what we thought yeah and that through Don Cheadle is, is corrupted by the system yes essentially is the idea yeah and that wraps up the Fraser storyline that wraps up that almost it wraps up sort of almost wraps up Don Cheadle yeah. And then we get uh, so w- when Terrence Howard and Ludacris go on that drive, we we fail to mention like Lorenz Tate, uh, Ludacris's partner, just runs off. Yeah, he splits off. And so we cut to at night, Lorenz Tate walking on the street yeah. by himself, and then Officer Goodapple uh, picks him up. Uh, Officer Hanson, who's off duty, not yeah. wearing his uniform or anything, he's just in his regular car going home. Drives up, sees him. He's like hitchhacking. He picks him up, and he's like, "Hey, like you know." I'm going to whatever valley or something. It's like, that works for me. That's fine. So they start driving. He's listening to country music. There's a bit earlier where 
Ludacris and Lawrence Tate are listening to music and it's hip hop and he's like, hip hop's the music of the oppressor or something yeah. like that. It's like what are you, what are you fucking talking yeah. about? Um, and then he talks about like, con- like I like country music. Yeah. Lawrence Tate's whole arc is that he likes white people things. Yeah, because he likes hockey, he likes country music, and he I don't know. Yeah, weird movie. And so, but but then he sees a little statue on the on the dash. It's a statue that earlier in the movie Lawrence Tate had with him. It's the same like it's a statue of a saint who's like the saint Saint Christopher. Yeah, the the uh, saint for travelers and whatever. And so he sees a statue and he starts laughing. He's like, "What are you laughing at?" He's like, "Oh no, man, I'm not laughing at you." It's like, "Well, then I'm not dropping you off." It's like, "What are you talking about? I'm not laughing at you." Yeah, and I'm not pulling over. I'm not laughing at you, and I'm not kicking you out of my car. He's like, "What are you talking about, man?" He's like, and he starts freaking out. And he's like, "Like, keep your hands where I can see." I was like, "How do you think you're talking about? What are you talking about? Like, why are you talking to me like that?" And he's like, "Keep your hands where I can see." I was like, "You want to know what I'm laughing at?" And then he pulls in his jacket, yeah. and then Hanson pulls out his gun and, shoots, and him. shoots him. Yeah, to find out that the thing that the dude was pulling out of his jacket was the same Saint Christopher yeah. statue that Officer Hanson had. Yeah. <sighs> And so good he boys, dumps his body good, on good, the side good, of the road. Good boys can be racist too. Yeah. He drops his body off on the side of the road and then drives to a lot and burns his car. Yeah. And that's the end of that guy's storyline. Yeah. And it's also the end of, you know, Lawrence Tate's storyline because he's dead. Yeah. Um, and then we cut to back into the epilogue of the movie, yeah. which was from the prologue. Don, Don Cheadle, Cheadle pulls comes up. up. It turns what out Lawrence Tate is dead his kid. brother. Lawrence Tate is Don Cheadle's brother. Yes. Um. And so, like, now Don Cheadle feels like he's somewhat responsible for this. And how do they identify the body to his mother? The doctor who lifts over the blanket is Doris, um, the daughter of the Persian storefront owner. Yeah. Of Sean Tube. Yeah. Everybody's connected. Yeah, everybody's connected. Um, We do have to talk about, you know, while Brendan Fraser is giving the press conference, Sandra Bullock tries to call him. Um, God, I forgot this fucking part. And... (laughs) Yes, yeah, talking yeah. about how she's like, you know, I just see them everywhere, referring to minorities and people of color. And she's like, you know, and I'm just so angry all the time. I don't know why I'm so angry. She realizes how racist she is and immediately slips on a staircase and falls down a flight of stairs uh, because she's so racist. Like the powers of racism knock her down. <laughs> and she wakes up at the bottom of the stairs. She's like, ah, and is trying to call people and no one's answering. But you know who does save her? Her housekeeper, Maria, Maria. Um, who she wakes up in the hospital with. And then she calls Brendan Fraser again. And she's like, I fell down the stairs, but don't worry. Maria saved me. And then she's like, Maria, you're, you're my, my best, best friend. friend. And she is no longer racist. If I knew racism was so easy to cure, you know, just talk people downstairs all the time. <laughs> Hope they either die or a minority saves them. Yeah. Okay, so the last storyline to wrap up is Ludacris. Because Ludacris... Who has the most ludicrous finale. <laughs> so Ludacris, who gets out of Terrence Howard's car, Terrence Howard, who says, you're yeah. an embarrassment to me, runs off. And he remembers, remember that Chinese guy I hit? Yeah. His He's, car's still there. His car's still there. So he goes in. Keys are still in the door. He gets the car, drives to the shop. No, he, wait, wait. Here's the thing. I think what is happening is he's going to return the car to the guy. Like that's the idea we're going with. That seems like the simple like solution to racism. This movie that this man learned to be better. Yeah, 
But no, he steals the car and brings it to the chop shop. Brings it to the chop shop. And I'm like, what? And I'm he, already like, what? And then they're like, hey, boss, check out the back. And they open the back. And there's like 15 Asian migrants in there, like chained up. Number one, how did Ludacris not see them in the back? He was driving this car the whole time. Because it's not a closed back seat. It's yeah. open. You can look back. He was and- literally like, must have been looking in the rearview mirror and just ignoring them. And he's like, shit. <laughs> and, and and the chop shop guy's like, I'll, I'll buy them for you. I'll 300 ahead. Yeah. And you can keep the car. Yeah. And then it cuts away and we don't know how it turns out. Except we see the same car drive into Chinatown. And Ludacris gets out. And he opens up the back door. And he lets all the migrants out. In Chinatown. Wait just a fucking minute. Okay. <laughs> hold the phone. If, if, like, listen, listen. <laughs> if, if you find a victim of human trafficking. Yes. Don't just let them out in Chinatown. Take them to the police. Take them to the embassy. Take him to a shelter, Homeland Security, or any place that can get them back to their families. Yeah. Where they're supposedly taken from. Anyone who can help them. Instead, he just drops them off in Chinatown and gives them 50 bucks for a burger. That's what he says. He's like, he has 50 bucks. Go buy a burger. And then drives off. Yeah. And guess what? The migrants aren't even Chinese. Yeah. It's it's the craziest ending to this movie. He was like, "Here we are, folks, in Chinatown, your homeland." <laughs> I and then the last shot of the movie is another car crash happens, and yeah. the um, and it's people getting out. Yeah, it's arcing. the it's the woman who um, the receptionist from Matt Dillon's mm-hmm. health uh, healthcare company who gets out and starts yelling at someone. Yeah, because she's a racist too, apparently, because she denied him. Uh, healthcare coverage. And then we zoom up into the sky and the movie ends. Thanks for it. And that is Crash. Yeah, that's Crash. Oh, boy. All right, this movie comes out May 6th of 2005. Yes. It's a big hit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm not surprised to say that, but it is a big hit. So this movie makes um, $98 million on a 6.5 budget. Uh, major success for its budget level. Um, it gets pretty good reviews. A lot of people do kind of see through it. Yeah. But, it, you know, it has like a ni- 74% on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh. Roger Ebert loves this movie. Sad. Um but the big thing I want to talk about is the Oscars. Hold, um, Jeff, hold hold on. Hold on. Steven Spielberg, Barry Mendel, producers. And the Oscar goes to Crash. Crash. <laughs> he seems a little confused. So yeah, um, my former roommate Jack Nicholson does get to uh, reveal it. It's funny you say that, Stuart, because I actually called him up 
No, you did not, Jeff. Uh, don't. No, I don't no. want to do this bit. I, no, no, this is here's the thing. We don't I was need curious. to do this bit. We him. don't need to do this bit right he now. He was not available. Jeff, he I, was not available to come on the podcast. Um, but he did send me a message uh, about what happened there. Um, because folks, as we do remember, Jack Nicholson is my former roommate. He moved in during our Pulp Fiction episode, and he moved out sometime around our Michael episode. Um. But yeah, uh, he's the one who gets to announce that Crash has won Best Picture in a surprise to everyone who expected Brokeback Mountain or Munich to be the winner, especially Brokeback Mountain. Uh, Ang Lee won Best Director that year, and kind of all the tides were heading for you know Brokeback, yeah, um, a movie that got a lot of criticism um, from you know a more right leaning society at the time for its depiction of gay cowboys, yeah. Um, and unfortunately, the Academy kind of fell into the trap, yeah. Um, but Jack d- did present the Academy Award for Best Picture to Brokeback Mountain, and I called him up, and he sent me a little message about what his experience was like. Okay. Crash. Now that was an interesting scenario. I had all my pesos on Brokeback Mountain, so when I opened that envelope, I wasn't thinking about the sociological ramifications. I was thinking about Meatball Joe, who I was going to owe some money to. But anyway... It was a strange moment for me. The Academy ding-dongs led me to believe Brokeback Mountain was going to be the winner. I wasn't quite sure, but that's who I trusted. That's why you don't trust the ding-dongs. They sent me in the line of fire. <laughs> the ding-dongs. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's all the Jack sent me. Well, uh, that's very nice of Jack to <laughs> yeah. send you something. He he said he couldn't come on the show because he had a he a rendezvous with a hairdresser in uh, Toluca Lake. I don't know what that's about. <laughs> I wasn't going to ask anymore. Um, yeah, it was very nice of Jack to send a message to us uh, yeah. here at Travolting, you know, coming back to his roots. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I I mean, that's, that's ba- roughly the core of it. Jack kind of summed it up and broke back, was expected to win. Crash. Crash. <laughs> uh, yeah, the movie wins, and... <sighs> the um, Multiple times, um, I think Vanity Fair did it, but they kind of went... They have re-polled the Academy on several, like, Oscar ceremonies. Like, who would you vote for now? Yeah. And every time they've done this year, Brokeback has won. Yeah. It was just this odd confluence of, like, people being like, this movie's pointing out an important issue that we are racist. We should fix that. And then they're like, give it the award, and then they did nothing to fix it. The thing is, like, here's, like, I can understand, like, a movie that if it were made well, if it had good performances, if it was, like, shot to look very nice, and it just had a misguided theme. Yeah. Like, that would still, like, make me want to vomit, but I can at least, like, I don't know, like the craft of it. Yeah. But the movie is... Not that good. No, it, it is well shot. I'll give it that. That's the one thing I'll give it. It looks nice. But that's it. But, like, the performances aren't that fantastic. Some of them are very egregious. And the through lines of each story arc aren't very well thought out. Uh, some of them don't really feel like they have a point to them at all. Some of them feel like a half point. Some of them feel like they're going one way with it, and then they flip it around and do the opposite thing, completely subverting the point that you thought it was trying to make. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very like lackluster, disorganized thought of a movie. Yeah, and I it, it's shocking to me that it even got nominated. Yeah. Like, 
much less Let one alone best win best. It's picture. just it comes out at the right time or the wrong time. Yeah. For it, I mean, we talked about this before with uh, a lot of the movies in the early two thousands that are pretty much homophobic. Yeah. That we're reaching that level in Hollywood where, oh well, homosexuality is now accepted. So now we can start making fun of it. You know, yeah. we don't have to treat it like it's taboo. We can make jokes about it now. And I feel like this is in a in an interesting vein where it's not like we're making fun of it, but that like we get to like make make conclusions about racism. Yeah. And if there's anything that we've learned is that there is no there are no conclusions on racism because racism hasn't like been ended or has not concluded in its own right. Um. Yeah, I don't know. It's yeah. it's very 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 interesting yeah. so i feel like that's it is that it is that all we got yeah i think that's it i think that's it i think we just came to a crashing halt yeah um wow no laugh at that one okay yeah <laughs> thank you um that joke uh, crashed yeah is our guest here he is here all right well, let's um, wrap it up yeah um, well, thank you, folks, for listening to our episode on crash. In regards to Brendan, this movie doesn't do anything for him. Thank God. Like it, it's uh, it's basically the last uh, movie of repute that he's in, though. I will say, like, thank God because thank God he had like a smaller role yes. than he did. Because I don't, when you think about Crash, you don't think about Brendan Fraser being in Crash. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but the the thing about this movie that is note is this is the last time he's in a like major success. Or not a major success. This is the last time he's in like a critically acclaimed movie. Yeah. Um, because he helps get this movie made and then the rest of and it's, you know, after this movie it's a lot of flops and it kinda ends his A list run. Uh it's a shame that this is the one he kinda goes out on in regards to like, you know, everybody seeing the movie. Yeah, because it's after this it's uh Journey to the End of Night, the last time the air I breathe, Journey to the Center of the Earth, and the Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. In cart, and though that's where we're tapping off our A list era, right? Yes, is in cart. No, we're tapping it off a of GI Joe Rise of Cobra. Oh, okay. But yeah, that's the um, that's it. All right. Um, well, thank you, folks, for listening. Be sure to tune in next week for our episode on Journey to the End of Night. Um, as a reminder, as always, please remember to rate, review, subscribe on every platform you're listening on. As a reminder, we're available on Spotify, Podcast, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Pump to Reddit, r slash Travolting. Uh, find us on Twitter or Instagram at TravoltingPod. Email us TravoltingPodcast at gmail.com. Find me on Twitter at Jeff W. Sweeney. Nope. <laughs> Stuart does not want to associate himself with this. Yep. Um, and then special thanks, as always, to Michael Van Modingham Smith for the theme music, Rebecca Johnson for the graphic design, and Angie Gardner for the social media. Make sure to tune next week for our episode on Journey to the End of Night. Thank you, folks. Bye-bye. Bye.